What is SBIRT and can you get paid for it? You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Bertha Madras. Dr. Madras is the Deputy Director of Demand Reduction in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. Prior to joining ONDCP, Dr. Madras was Professor of Psychobiology at Harvard Medical School and chaired the Division of Neurochemistry at the New England Primate Research Center. Today we're discussing the SBIRT program of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, Dr. Madras. Great of you to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm delighted to be here. So what's SBIRT and can I get paid for it? <laughs> it's a great question. SBIRT stands for Screening, Brief Intervention, Brief Treatment, and Referral to Treatment. And yes, there are codes now, CPT codes for third-party insurers, codes for Medicare, codes for Medicaid that can reimburse for these procedures. How long has the program been around and how can we get more information about it? The program has been around for decades, believe it or not, through World Health Organization initiatives, through private investigator-initiated research. We have known for more than 20 years that a brief intervention that is non-judgmental, non-confrontational with receptive people is going to change their behavior with regard to heavy alcohol use. It's been used in emergency departments and trauma centers for a number of years. The real turning point came when SAMHSA, our sister federal agency, organized grants to states to implement them in a number of states in our country, we now have 12 expert sites on college campuses. We have them in a tribal organization. And out of this massive amount of input and research and data, it is clear that it can work in general populations. The screening itself as the first step, where is that being done? What location specifically? And what type of healthcare provider does this? The screening in the federal program is implemented in emergency departments, trauma centers, primary health care clinics, rural clinics, college campuses, and even in high schools. And we urge as many primary care physicians as well as tertiary care to be engaged in this because it can make an enormous difference in the health and well-being of patients. Are there specific screening instruments that should be used, and how does one get training in these things if they exist? There are a number of instruments. The audit is used for alcohol, and in fact, the VA system has now mandated that screening and brief intervention for alcohol be implemented throughout the entire VA system. The ASSIST, another World Health Organization screening questionnaire, combines alcohol with illicit drugs. And it makes an awful lot of sense to combine them because in certain sectors of a healthcare system, especially trauma centers and emergency departments, there's a very high incidence of both alcohol and other intoxicating drugs that appear to be associated with or causative of trauma, injuries, and significant risk to life. If somebody wanted to learn more about the screening incidents themselves, are they available they're available. Uh, one can just pump in the word audit, assist, or DAS. These are three that are out there that are well-documented, and you can find the screening questionnaires come up on a screen. You can go to the SAMHSA website, and the questionnaires will emerge. You can go to NIAAA.gov, which is the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, and it will emerge there as well in all three of them. 
And so there is plenty of assistance for people to learn not only the screening questionnaires, but NIAAA has a, a training program on site to train with brief interventions. To the best of our knowledge, these brief interventions work equally well for drugs as for alcohol. Could you talk a little bit more about brief intervention? What's actually taking place? What kind of an intervention is this? Once you get an objective screening score, which takes into account frequency, amount, adverse consequences, whether or not you're injecting IV, for example, for illicit drugs, with that score, the physician decides what will the appropriate response be. If the score puts you in a moderately low to moderate risk category, then they can institute a brief intervention on the spot. This is an opportunistic teaching moment for the patient to learn that their use of intoxicants is an outlier and that it would be wise for them to cut down. What you do is you try to extract from the patient themselves some of the consequences they felt and try to get them to associate the consequences with their use of drugs. Consequences could be medical consequences, social, educational, employment, whatever, whatever they, in fact, proffer to you. And then you begin to assist them in developing a strategy for cutting down. It doesn't take very long. It can be as short as 15 minutes and as long as 30 minutes. Without reinforcement, has this been effective? Without reinforcement, it has been very effective. The data indicates the numbers are quite across the map. Some say about 15% reduction in heavy use. Others say 40% reduction in heavy use or reduction to abstinence. But generally speaking, that's the scale in which you can observe changes between 15 and, in some cases, even as high as 50%. The World Health Report just did a multinational randomized controlled trial using the assist for illicit drugs, and they found overall a 60% change in the patients in their catchment. I mean, that's phenomenal. It is. It's phenomenal. It sometimes defies credibility, but it, it really is well documented. And they did phase one, two, and three clinical trials with the questionnaires. So there's the weight of, of some very systematic approach to uh, documenting the effectiveness of it. The only country that didn't show as good data was the U.S. in the World Health Report, but in the federal ESPERT program, we're seeing very significant change. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Bertha Madras, Deputy Director of Demand Reduction in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. We're discussing ESPERT, screening, brief intervention, brief treatment, and referral for the prevention of substance use disorders. So we've gone through the screening and brief interventions. Brief treatment, again, what does that entail? How many sessions? How long? And who's providing the services? Brief treatment is essentially cloning of the brief intervention, but on a repeated number of occasions so that you can do six to ten separate episodes where you reinforce the message that this, you're at moderate to high risk. It is wise for you to change your behavior and let's help you change it. And what are some of the obstacles to changing it? So it's a reasonable dialogue between a healthcare professional 
and a patient that, as I reiterated before, is non-confrontational and is non-judgmental, but tries to get the person themselves to become more and more self-aware that engagement in this risky behavior can lead to a, a cascade of adverse events in their lives. Your background is in neurochemistry and psychobiology, and many changes take place in the nervous system, the old cells that fire together, wire together, the pleasure response from these medications or substances. With the brief treatment, and on top of that, again, as a pediatrician, I, the, the old immortality of youth, can you really change the behaviors in this brief treatment when something is truly an addicting substance? Well, as I said, if a person is addicted, they need referral to specialty treatment. But if it's a brief treatment only, what we're seeing in our federal program is very significant changes in self-reports. These are six months after they receive the brief treatment. In randomized controlled trials that have been done in trauma centers, for example, and in primary health care, the brief intervention persists for a year, that's one of the periods of time that was looked at. In one case, in one publication, it was 48 months. So it's certainly not a magic bullet. It's not a cure-all because there are plenty of people who are not receptive to the message. They say they've heard it before. This is nagging. The World Health Organization in their report documented the kind of pushback they got from people who are refractory to this kind of input. But most people thought it was very enlightening and important. And the first time in their lives that a medical professional engaged them in something that could lead to tremendous cascade of health consequences. It's quite a statement because, generally speaking, physicians are trained to use the cage and to identify alcoholism. And this is quite different. This is to identify a full spectrum of use that is risky, that is problematic, that could give rise to abuse and to addiction. That's the critical difference. The physician's role is inserted at the early stages rather than at the late stages when they are, generally speaking, not trained to deal with addiction, but they can be readily trained to deal with these early onset periods and assist people in changing behavior. It would seem like this would be a natural program to teach to reveal at National Specialty Society meetings. Is the government doing any of those things, bringing it to the American Academy of Pediatrics National Convention, for instance? I've actually tried to insert myself on every national meeting for the National Academy of Pediatrics, American College of Physicians, of Surgeons, and they've just pushed back on it, and it made no sense to me. They pushed back on it? American Academy family, yes, and all these annual meetings. And, well, part of it was not the lack of interest, but part of it is because we work on much shorter timelines than these annual meetings. So inserting an individual in a plenary, for example, or a symposium, you have to do that two years in advance for many of them. And we just got in on, on the bottom floor a little bit too late to get inserted. We have a little bit of time left. What's new? Tell me something new about prevention that I don't already know about. Anything new in terms of research, translational research? What's sort of the next step? I think that this is one of the most profound and dramatic transformational strategies that we've seen in a long time in terms of prevention, because this truly is a form of prevention. It's to preempt the potential for rehospitalizations. And we've seen tremendous cost savings. It's so interesting. We have seen in Medicaid in Washington State 
a, a very detailed epidemiological analysis of people who received these services, and they were then examined with regard to rehospitalizations. And based on their calculations, for each 1,000 Medicaid patients that were seen and offered SBI, they saved the state approximately $2 million a year. So you translate that upward into all your Medicaid-eligible patients, and that's, you know, that's beginning to reckon to very hefty health care saving costs. I'd like to thank Dr. Bertha Madras, who's been my guest. And we've been discussing the SBIRT Drug Screening Brief Intervention and Referral to Treatment Program. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I invite you to listen to our on-demand library by visiting us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months of free streaming audio. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.